want to thank everyone for tuning in to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. And thank you for continuing to share the show with your friends and, you know, co-workers, wherever you happen to know and enjoy podcasts. Um, while you're sharing it, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Podbean, where our show originates from, anywhere that you can give us a five-star rating would be appreciated. It helps us climb up the metrics and be able to bring more content to you. And if you've always wondered, hey, what do they look like while recording the show? Well, for almost a year now, we have been streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash geek in the city you can interact with uh, fellow listeners you can interact with us you know what we just have a great time every week hanging out and being you know just the nerds that we are we all have a lot of fun we would love you to join us twitch.com forward slash geek in the city as always the podcast will always be free and let's get it started right now why hello Welcome to issue 682 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Binarita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. And we are coming to you live from the Guardian Game Studios in the back of Guardian Games. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think, like, I mean... We're coming to you live from, from the Guardian back. Games, in located in the uh, Central uh, East Side Industrial District. That's, I was trying to think of a cute name to call it. We're located in the Nerd Dungeon, behind where all the kids are playing their nerd games. I mean, there's that, too. I mean, yeah. Back where they used to paint minis all the time. That's where we're at now, suckers. Yeah, it was the... the this was a room that was used for um, rentals, so... Oh, yes, I played... Um, I played a few games back in here. Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah, back in the day. In the dark times. You can refer to it as one of the many dungeons. Yeah, I know there's no more brick uh, walls, but... Just, uh, yes, it is one of the many dungeons I have found myself in in my lifetime. <laughs> it, it, um, it was actually the only room called the dungeon. Woo, that's true. Called it. Yes. Yep. There was the no, crypt, didn't call the it, dungeon, the foyer, the um, extra life, and the level up. Those were the, oh, that's right. Because oh, yes. the extra life and the level up were upstairs, right? That's correct. I liked the upstairs. Me too. Upstairs was nice. I did too. However, I like it much better as a break room for staff. Mm-hmm. That's fair. No, that's fine. I get it. Especially when we have a staff of 30. <laughs> that's how many you have now? Yeah. Holy moly. I mean, not all at the same time. No, I know that. In I'm a just... row? <laughs> 37 guardian has 37 staff in a row hey try not to add any staff on the way to the parking lot <laughs> yeah well that's how we're that's that's how we're gonna do it today huh that's right 28 year old clerk's reference right there you know yep. kevin smith still does it so it's fine yeah although i guess it's his movie he probably should keep doing that yes <laughs> he should yeah uh, what are we doing today? Well, we are going to have a guest on um, around 7 o'clock. We mm-hmm. will make that announcement when they show up well. because it's part of a larger announcement of something we're all doing. Yeah. Yeah. It'll Sur- be, it's my favorite kind of event. Surprises for everyone. Where we get to have fun with very minimal effort on our part. <laughs> you got to stop pointing out the minimal effort part. Oh, okay. Let, let people think we worked hard on Actually, this. we do work hard on all the things. It just... I mean, like the minimal efforts usually just like a bit that we do. Um, 
it takes work to pull all this stuff off, you know. Yep. All this? Yeah. I mean, yes, we've had some, you know, sound issues or whatnot. What are you but, doing? You know. But, yeah. Okay. I like how she just keeps motioning towards me as if I'm the thing that takes the most work. <laughs> That's not how I meant it. But... <laughs> I mean... You're not wrong. This I don't know. It takes I, a lot of work. It's harder to wave at myself, Cable. So that's, that's, I just, I went for the closest thing. We can both Donald Sutherland you. <laughs> no, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd say the one that needs the most work is probably me, but that's probably for deeper, deeper psychological levels. Let's not go into that today. Yeah. Oh, Cable got an earful for me when we got here already. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. This is, <laughs> Today is not going to be on air therapy. We will we will have those shows. Oh heck yeah! Those shows do happen. Mm, yerp. Um, I don't know why I went yerp. <laughs> yarp. Yarp. Got some weird energy today, friend. Yeah. Yarp. Uh, yarp. <laughs> I just yarp. saw that weird. I just saw that random clip with the guy who's the hound. Yeah. When he's on the he's on a panel with what's her name Maisie Williams, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where she's like, "Yeah, when we first started filming, I." I knew I saw him from somewhere, but I couldn't figure it out. And then one day he looked at me and he goes, Yar. She's like, that's him. <laughs> what is he? What is that? He's in Hot, Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. The big guy that doesn't talk. He just goes, Yar. Michael. Is he smaller in there? Michael, no, he's you, huge. Have you taken care of Officer Angel? Yarp. Yarp. He's not going to get up again, is he? Oh, my God. I can't. Like, Narp. I can't... Yeah. No, Good. it's him. No, he's big. Yeah. No, he's big in it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I I think they refer to him as Biggin <laughs> at one point. <laughs> there he is. Yep, Rory McCann. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Um, I don't think it's the only. Um... Oh, well, he he's has, also he in Shaun no of the Dead. In it either. Oh, he's yeah, in he Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first zombies. Yeah. that they take out. He's probably at World's End too somewhere because I'm sure Edgar is. Wright tends to yeah keep people he likes mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, Brad mentioned it too after you watch Hot. I haven't watched Hot Fuzz in a while. Um, you know, Shaun of the Dead is kind of everyone's first when it comes to Edgar Wright. You know, and rightly so. But Hot Fuzz, Fuzz. might be my favorite of the three. It's hard to find fault with Hot Fuzz. Yeah, it is perfect on many, many levels. Yeah, you could be like, well, I don't like anything that's, that's like you know, propaganda. But it kind of knows it is, and then it's making fun of that it is it's it's but it's not propaganda no no no, they're making fun it is pro cop action movie from a very specific very specific time Mm. yeah well you've never seen bad boys too (laughs) it's fucking (laughs) Uh, have you ever probably has fired your gun whilst in the air, whilst yelling, oh! Yeah. <laughs> Apart from Baby Driver, it's probably Edgar Wright's tightest editing also. Like, the editing oh, yeah, of that yeah, movie that's is... true. That's very if true. If you're one of those film nerds that, like, loves to look at cuts, like, how they cut a scene together, like, Hot Fuzz is, like, a master course mm-hmm. in editing. It's so well done. Um, and again, if you were ever a fan of, like, Hammer folk horror, like, that's that's 100% Hot Fuzz, too, with The Village. Yep. I get the feeling that I've seen Hot Fuzz the least out of all of them. Really? I Because, again, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. It's cl- absolute classic. And uh, it's on all the time. At World's End is the one I see the least, least amount of. I still I've, haven't seen At World's End. 
It's good. Is that what I need to see? Didn't we watch it once for the show? No. No. We've never done any Edgar Wright for the show. That seemed weird. That I'm aware of. Yeah. Clearly, we're going to need to now. Well, maybe we do at World's End if we do it. Because I feel like there has been a lot of nerd commentary on Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Mm -hmm. But, you know. I mean, we can watch those two as well. Because it, it is the Carnetto trilogy. Yeah, that's true. And let, let's just marathon it, you guys. Uh, the thing oh. that I really enjoy about At World's End is um, Simon Peck's character in that. You know, I'm a sucker for media about like that one, just like party kid who can't get this shit together. Mm. Why would you be in really into 40s. that character? Gee, I don't know. Interesting. I, I didn't. Didn't I? Start this out by saying this is not going to be a therapy I, episode. I didn't start it. <laughs> I'll point out that I'm drinking Minute Maid lemonade. Well, and I'm going to move on to hot water. Well, then we probably shouldn't have gotten onto this uh, this Edgar Wright kick. A, a, a trilogy that's around ice cream cones and beer, <laughs> um, and and whatever. also bettering yourself. That is true. I'll, well, that's well, all Shaun of the Dead is. And I guess in Hot Fuzz, he does better himself in that he's no longer so uptight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. he's got to learn to switch off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I can yep. see that. Is he uptight? Oh yeah, I incredibly. When I when incredibly. I remember that character in 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 that movie, I think he's, of him as kind of like the deadbeat boyfriend, and he's just no, kind of like that's Sean stuck in a rut. No, that's Sean. That's Sean. That is one hundred percent Sean. Sorry, but, I must have like yeah, got my she's wires like, crossed. I thought yeah. that's what we were talking. She's like, and I'm sick of no, going to punch. the Winchester every weekend. He's like, I'll pick something good for our anniversary, and then he forgets. And she's like, Oh, where are we going for dinner? And he's all like, The, the Winchester? Winchester. Oh my god, Jen and I were watching something a couple nights ago. Ah, oh, no, what was it? Uh, I can tell you about things I've been watching. No, but it's time. clearly that pub is a set in England. Oh, okay. Because I don't remember what we were watching, but Jen's like, is that the Shaun of the Dead pub? And I literally like brought up images from Shaun of the Dead and I'm like from certain angles, like, yeah, that's the same pub. Could it be... Were you watching something by Guy Ritchie? No. Okay. I can't remember. Kingsman? I actually saw something recently also and I was like, well, that looks like the Winchester, but I did not look it up. Uh, well, you know me, that's the shit that will sit in my head for years. If I don't verify it, it'll mm-hmm. just haunt me. Um, I think I'm gonna get back really quick to fucking, I think the thing that air quotes hurts at world's end is that Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz are so good. that even though at world's end is good, it is not as good. Sure. Um, I'll get a lot of grief for this, but I'm going to say again. It's not that Ghostbusters 2 is a bad movie. It's not. It is entertaining and humorous. It's that Ghostbusters was so good that it didn't come close to living up to it. That's what hurts Ghostbusters 2. Um, plus it has Peter McNichols. So, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, that makes it great. Yeah, where are you from? <laughs> the Upper West Side? <laughs> yeah. How are you doing in all this uh, blackness? You know? The great have... and mighty Vigo. Could probably get free parking. Uh, he's he's the character I remember the most from yeah. Ghostbusters 2. 
Peter McNichol stole that movie. He stole the entire and, movie. And he shouldn't have. Yeah. Ghostbusters 2 also has the only like legitimate frightening scene or unsettling scene in all the Ghostbusters movies. From the answer to the call to afterlife, it's when they're down in the old subway system. Mm-hmm. And Egon and Ray do echo. They go, hey, hey, whoa. And then Winston goes, hey. And the tunnel goes, Winston. <laughs> And then, like, they start to freak out. And then there's all these fucking heads on spikes staring at Winston as he's freaking the fuck out. And then the ghost chain just drives right through him. Yep. I'm like, that was a legit scare in, in my Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> it's great, though. Like, Egan comes up like, that was the old Mannheim Transit. Killed, 40, killed thousands of people. Did you get the trade number? And he's like, sorry. And his hair is all blown. He's like, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Ernie Hudson. That guy got robbed. Mm. Well, he agreed to do Ghostbusters back when Eddie Murphy had dropped out. Mm -hmm. And when you have Eddie Murphy in your Ghostbusters movie, Winston has way more lines. Oh, Um, yeah. Okay. And then when Eddie Murphy dropped out, Bill Murray got all of the punchlines. You remember we watched Ghostbusters? He's got all of the punchlines. Yeah. Um, Because the original script, Winston shows up like page 15 and the movie he shows up in like page 80 hmm. yeah um also god then i promise we'll get the shit he wanted to be the voice of winston in the real ghostbusters the animated series mm-hmm. they made him audition for the character he helped create mm-hmm. it still went to arsenio hall as winston yeah, Arsenio Hall is the voice of Winston, even though Ernie Hudson was like willing and wanted to play the part to do the voice acting. That's really weird. It's showbiz, baby. Well, yeah, but showbiz is weird. Yes. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so our guest will be here soon. I hope that's the plan. Yeah. You were going to mention other things that you're watching, Bean. Yes, mm. uh, or that I have seen, because um, mm. I was—I absolutely meant to ask you guys about them and see if you'd been watching them. Uh, Skinnamarink, uh, that horror on movie. Shutter. Uh huh. So I want to. I haven't yet. This is a weird thing. We switched to a Roku device, and I it's mean, not recognizing your login. It's not recognizing my login. So I'm going to have to probably go online, cancel it re-up it through Amazon Prime, which sucks, but I will have to do that. No, I want to. I've seen the trailers, and it looks fucking weird. And Hmm. then the other thing that I've been watching, and now I'm not going to remember, but I wanted to talk to you guys about it. It's not The White Lotus, which I'm also watching, but I imagine that you guys don't care about that at all. I'm intrigued. It feels very um, HBO's version of Fantasy Island. Sans... Uh, Mr. Rourke. I've never oh, really? seen yeah. Fantasy Island. In that it is it's a resort themed show. Yeah. It's and it's not episodic. Or it is episodic in that it's seasons are self-contained. Yes. And so the characters will switch from season to season. I think Aubrey Plaza is um one of the main characters of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Coolidge was uh, like that was 
one of her big things for coming back. So, and it has kind of a not exactly a supernatural vibe to it, but something's off vibe. Some very Twilight Zoney. Okay. Jennifer Coolidge won a Golden Globe, right? Uh, I, I know she won it? something. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what. Um, An award. Yes. Of some kind. <laughs> some All-star sort of cast award. had to resort and unleash their worst, most privileged impulses. Mm-hmm. The I'm into the second season now, and I'm not done yet, which is uh, frustrating, because all of a sudden, everyone's talking about it. Mm. Uh, and I'm trying not to get spoiled, because the whole, the whole season's done already. Um, I don't know yet if I like it as much as the first season in terms of like what the, what the overall foil, the, the, what the wrapper is, Um, but they're still both quality entertainment. That's not the one I wanted to talk to. So skin and Marink, is it every video I've seen the trailer is like, it's filmed through like, like bad, not, not, not like bad camera work, but it's meant to look like old cameras. Like it's a, like it's, it's like it takes place in an era. It's it is a micro budget film with a and a set in a time that is definitely not now, but it's not super clear when it is. I would guess like early eighties, right? Um, okay, the, the videos I saw made me think of that. Yeah, it is. It's so hard to talk about if you haven't seen it, which was why I meant to ask you guys. Uh, I want to see. Yep, I haven't seen it. Um. Oh, I have I've so many thoughts. It. The trailer um, I saw for it, you'd hear like a voice or being like, it was It was always weird stuff like, yeah, you are alone. You are seeing this. It's like to get in your head. Um, I, I will definitely say that like the movie is just like tension personified. Nice. I don't want to, I don't really don't want to see more because I don't want to like color anyone's perspective on it. I no, feel I like that trying to describe this is like trying to describe Barbarian to you. Yeah. Before or, uh, either of you had seen Barbarian. No, no. Now that like, once I saw Bar- like, like thinking about having seen Barbarian, if I wanted to describe it to somebody without telling them too much, that would be easier than describing so, or talking about Skin and Marine. It's not the describing. I could, I could very easily describe it to you in great detail, but that's that's the part I want to discuss, not tell you about. Sure. Um. Well, I guess it's also like trying to describe uh, Behold a Mad God. Mm. The animated show, that, mm-hmm. the movie that's on, um, what's well, on Shudder? I saw it, at, saw it uh, at the Hollywood. I saw it at the Hollywood. In fact, I saw Skinner Rink at the Hollywood too. They are really on Oh, were it. they showing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know that if, if it's still there or not, but it's worth checking out. Um, yeah, I might do that. <laughs> it's worth going to go see it in the theater to see how other people are reacting to it. Hmm. Okay, that's fair. Because that was definitely something that like, was kind of a big deal. Right. Like, and is being talked about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would. That's es- cool. Especially if you're like a, like a, a, you know, a real horror fan, um, not real horror fan, but you know, a, very, if you were, you are very you're a fan into, of horror, yes. then yeah. this is definitely. Yes. For you. Yes. Yeah. I think that anyone who is deeply into horror is going to have a lot of thoughts about it, but I, it, it I think it's been described as very polarizing and, and I, some of the best that. horror ones are sure i mean there's nothing worse than a horror movie that just is middle of the road that's true and and a lot of them are right uh, and what's really impressive is like how much um traction this movie has gotten 
um, even though it was made on a tiny, tiny budget and not really a lot of marketing, all of the, the first time I heard about it was bef way before it was even available. Okay. Let's take a break so we can. Uh, yeah. On? Well, I was going to bring something up really quick. Another okay. show people need to see, and then we'll have our guests join us. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll have to take a break. In fact, I might put the little background back up because we'll have to do some tweaking. Mm -hmm. um, I saw the I saw the video I saw the trailer for this like a couple years ago, and I got super jazzed. And then life happened, and I forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Jen rediscovered a couple days ago, and we. This is the show where I think I saw the Winchester set. Okay, uh, it's a BBC series, but filmed for Peacock. Uh, you don't have to be a paying member of Peacock to watch Peacock to watch it. It's uh, We Are Lady Parts. And it's about oh. four Muslim, mm -hmm. like right out of high school and in university women who form a punk band. Oh, like the trailer had me hooked. And then again, I just forgot. And then Jen saw it and she's like, have you heard of this? And it clicked in my head like I have. Oh, my God, I forgot about it. We blew through it in one night. It's only eight episodes, half hour long each. It's wonderful. It is so wonderful. It has been green light, green lit for a season two, but it just takes them a while. So that's where I saw the pub from the Winchester. Yeah, it's called We Are Lady Parts. I think Alrighty. people would really, really like it. Uh, also, that place is called the Duke of Albany, and it's in New Cross, England. I've been, I've been trying to figure out. I, I've been in oh, the background, like I wonder googling if gets... this place hmm. to see what other movies it's been in. Okay, so it does get used in multiple movies. I don't know. I guess if if, okay. if it's for sure in Lady Parts, we are Lady Parts. Keep us at your radio, movie detectives. Woo! All right, we are going to take a quick break uh, to welcome our guest on, and then we will get moving. So, can't believe I'm going to say this. Don't go changing. <laughs> you know that's Scott Daly's fault. That's where that first came. Okay. From. Don't just go. The, just put the card up before we uh, welcome our guest on. Let's talk about our sponsors. First up, of course, we have got Guardian Games. Now, you already know they're like one of the best gaming spots or whatever, no matter what kind of game you are into. Um, however, they also will host um, special events. Like they have one coming up on Sunday, February 19th for Galentine's Game Day. This is co-sponsored by Pink Tiger Games. Basically what it is, it actually sounds really cool. Uh, you'll get to enjoy uh, a guided open play event that focuses on a lot of female board game designers and artists. Um, so you can come meet uh, Amy Bao of Pink Tiger Games. Um, you know, it, it's just cool. Like they're hosting, you know, very focused gaming events. And, you know, whether you are a designer or reviewer or you just like playing games, you know, these kinds of events give you a different kind of perspective, a different point of view on the world of gaming. And they're really cool. And it's even cooler that places like Guardian Games host stuff like that so like i said they are way beyond just your typical retail place so go down there check them out 345 southeast taylor street in portland oregon uh guardian games they are more than a store they support the gaming community to make everything pretty great 345 southeast taylor street in portland oregon when you're there thank them for sponsoring geek in the city radio just like rev nat of reverend nat's hard cider um yeah he provided us equipment and you know yeah he's just always been a good friend of the show uh if you want to know how to keep up with all he's got going on just join his newsletter uh if you ever had something delivered uh spoilers you're in his newsletter 
Uh, and he's always really working with the community as part of like the Albina Project. Um, he's actively, yeah, look, he's more than just a booze slinger is what I'm trying to say. Um, he really puts his money where his mouth is and backs the causes that uh, make the world a better place. And not many not many local small businesses can claim that, and uh, he, he definitely does. So, you know, maybe order an extra can or two of some hard cider. And whenever you place an order for delivery or something like that, like maybe put in the comments like, hey, I keep hearing about you because of Geek in the City Radio. That would be cool. Let's get back to the show right now. And we're back. And welcoming to the show, we have uh, a friend of the show, brewer, distiller, mead maker, beekeeper, the queen bee of the barrel bee and all around badass, Lee. <laughs> Hi. That was a great. That Yay! was great. Thank you. <laughs> I panicked at the last minute and I didn't say your name because I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> Ellie. Oh, that's right. Because all last week I kept saying, we'll be joined by, you know, Lee. And she's like, Leia? Lee? <laughs> somewhere <laughs> somewhere along the road, I got it in my head that, you know, it is Lee, but that you spell it the other way. L-E-I. Oh, that's still pronounced Lee. Yes. But sometimes people are, sometimes sometimes it is Lay. Yes. I've seen it both ways. And so I... I basically, I, I went one way and then like I went back and like my brain got scrambly. So just a little note, L-E-E is what is the uh, the male spelling of that. Um, and then the usually L-E-A, L-E-A mm -hmm. is usually the female spelling of it without the H on there. We and just ran the whole gamut of like, we're like, you know, like Stan Lee, Jason Lee, Brandon Lee. And we're all like, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, I was hoping to get paid. <laughs> Be like, somebody screwed up somewhere. <laughs> they didn't tell So, you. I think the last time we had you on was for Shebrew. Oh, yeah, a few probably. years ago. Yeah. Um, are you still involved? With, or I officially retired as a brewer from Shebrew. La the last event that they had was the last event that I did and I brought back the welcome back to Oz bitches the green glitter beer <laughs> um, by popular demand I brought that one back and that was my official I'm only doing this one more time and I I'm not I'm I'm retiring from that oh, event man. you know I'm super bummed I have never had a chance to try that because when I volunteered last year my your beer goes super fast and uh, I was volunteering till like four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, I would make a comeback for you, and then I'll yeah. make a really crappy beer so that it oh. lasts longer, and then you can have a chance to taste it. Is that what you're saying to me? No, I was just <laughs> lamenting that I didn't get to try it. That's all. All right. You got to tell them why I'm not on camera. I think uh, that's funny. Oh yeah, normally <laughs> our guests are always on camera. There's a reason why Lee is not on camera. She came. I came straight from work. She came straight from work, and her job involves working. Uh, bottling and candling various liquids. Yeah. And she came in huffing and puffing and, and looked at us and said, I've been shot in the face twice by insert said liquid. <laughs> She's like, and we're like, well, sorry, we don't have a camera for you. And you were like, I'm a hot mess. I don't want to be on camera. <laughs> we think you look great. Oh, you can't see the bit. I, I I swear I I feel tomato bits hanging off of me. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say what you were what you were it's doing. It's fine. I'm gonna smell like marinara sauce for like weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Maybe you'll get sprayed by a skunk and it'll balance out. I don't think it works that I don't way. Think that's it not works how that, that way. works. 
I think you're supposed to use tomato juice to get rid of the skunk smell. Though yeah, I'm told yeah. that Dawn dishwashing liquid works better. Probably. Yeah. Maybe if you just like rub yourself on some stainless steel. Oh man, it takes three days to get the smell out of my stainless. <laughs> <laughs> Even out of the stainless steel? Yeah, it smells. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think that I thought I didn't that was know like you, the I point. Didn't know you of... could make stainless steel stinky. I mean, mind blown. There's a lot of things I have to do um, after this particular product, which is an amazing product, but from a consumer standpoint, but from a maker standpoint, it is um, a beast to work with. Yeah. We won't um, we won't say the product, but the three of us on the show have had it many times. Thank often you, dur- after during show getaways. That's, I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. We'll say it off camera. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. So I'm a little messy. It's been a 12 hour day. Yeah. Well, it's a long day. Thank you for joining us after such a long day. Oh, my pleasure. I always, the happy things make me happy. Our happy things you have. Mm-hmm. You guys are my happy things. So. so we're not only having you on because it's just been too long. Because I, I think since last time you were on, you hadn't started Barrel B yet. No, I was really, gosh, has it been that? No, I have. I, I think I was, least, I, was, I think I was only maybe two or three years in. It was really small. I wasn't well, sure what I was going to do with it. We had you on for the first She Brew. You actually reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in covering us? Oh my gosh, that's so been a number been, of years. It's been a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She Brew happened first and then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. We were in the old fun employment studios and it's been at least five years since we've been in there. At least. At least. And I started the company in 2017. So it's been at least, holy mackerel. Okay. Yeah. Well, can you want to tell people what that is then really quick? Ah, so you mean the barrel B where I bring all the good things of barrel aging to honey? Oh. Yeah, I know. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I... So for folks who are just joining in, I have a barrel-aged honey company where I work with local apiaries and local distilleries, and I pair different honey varietals with different distilleries used barrels, and I age them for a significant chunk of time, and then I either package them alone, depending on what they're, what, how they're tasting, or I blend them into other food products that are becoming out. And so I've been doing that since 2017. And this is the first year, this year, I'm actually expanding. So I'm actually working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the page isn't found yet. Give me an hour. And oh, okay. Because I was going to put it in the, I was like, you know what, I'll show the Put Facebook it later. Page. It's in technical difficulties right now. All right. Mm. I was like, oh, no, because I've used it before. No, no. We'll post fine. it in the show notes later. Okay. Um. I have had many of your varieties and they're all like super delicious. It becomes that honey that you don't want to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the good honey. It's like, yeah. It's like the good pillow mm-hmm. or yes. the good towels. Thank you. The yeah. good towels. <laughs> I'm hoping to be able to have enough products that you want, that you actually want to use every day and you want to use them for different things because um, what's crazy is the fact that honey is really this amazing, not only is it a beautiful snapshot of place and time because bees have a very limited um, foraging radius. So if you want to get a snapshot of the terror of what's blooming right then and there when bees are harvesting, that's a good way to do it. And, you know, if you're a really good beekeeper and you're keeping track of that, you're harvesting these honeys. So you know what's blooming, you know what they're getting. And it's been very, um, and it's interesting. We have over 300 different honey varietals in the United States alone. Wow. Now, that hmm. being said, we can grow the same kinds of plants, but they taste 
the honeys will taste different based off of what coast you're at or what the ground was like. Right. So like blackberries grow on the East coast, but blackberry and blackberry honey doesn't taste the same on the East coast as it does on the West coast. And just because all the environmental factors, yeah, the ground, the soil, all of that. Hmm. You're blowing Denise's mind, I think. It makes absolute sense, but I had never thought about it before. If oh you want God, to ever it's... eat your travels, buy honey wherever you go. <sighs> that is a memory right there that you can take with you. Hell yeah. I'm usually the... I'm usually a fan of like the sartorial souvenir. Um, would this be like a culinary souvenir? What yeah. do you call that? We're using mm-hmm. a lot of big words on the show this week. Every time we have brewers on, we sound smarter. <laughs> Because of all the, it's because of all the advanced terminology. Yeah, mm-hmm. we make up words. You know that, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So all so. words are made up. Yes, like we make up like that seems like that like, doesn't work. Like zymergy. Yeah, you know that's not a real word. They just decided Actually, to have it. It is right. Yeah, it is. No. <laughs> My favorite fact about zymergy. Uh, remember this for trivia nights because it'll show up once in a while. Uh, it has yet to be replaced as the last word of every diction in every dic- English dictionary. Really? Yeah, because it's zy. Oh. <laughs> so every time you get like, what's the last word in the Oxford English Dictionary or whatever? It's almost, it's going to be Zymergy. Uh, and for the listeners and, and for me, uh, Zymergy is oh. the study or practice of fermentation uh, in brewing, winemaking, or distilling. And you do a little bit of everything. I do <laughs> all of those things. Yes. Yeah. So you could add like Zymergologist. Zymergolo- Zymer- Zymologist. Oh man. Zymologist. Yeah. Yeah. You should start putting that like on your business card. And then have people ask me, what does that mean? And then I'd be like, you have opened up a Pandora's (laughs) box. And that Pandora's box name is Lee. She would tell you. (laughs) Um, So you would never get to stop talking. But what's so crazy about all of these things, the honey, the spirits, the beer making, the wine making, all those things use the same skills that I've always done for all these years. And I love it because they inform one thing informs another. Um, And so it's been so wonderful to be able to um, do that and take that to all these different levels and work with amazing different people. And in my new job, I get to do stuff that's even doesn't even deal with alcohol. I know it's crazy. (laughs) I know. Like I get to like, I'm expanding and looking at like, you know, things that are non-alcoholic, but you know, get to have fun with it. And it's a very different animal. So I love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, knowing all the different flavors probably comes in handy no matter what. Oh, you're no matter doing, what you're doing, which is probably why did I see a promo for you for being <laughs> on a a reality competition show called Master Distiller? Yes. So it's been my dream since I auditioned for The Real World season three, <gasps> which was San Francisco. Remember that back in the day, the mm-hmm. original World Worldcast. I auditioned for season three of Real World, and that I think sparked my love for being on a reality television show (laughs) um 20 some odd years later at uh i got the opportunity yeah you did you saw me on a promo right for master distiller um off of the discovery channel so i they asked me to do the show and i said yes and so i'm waiting for my episode to air and when it airs i'll let when i know when it's going to air i'm going to let people know but it was a an amazing experience to be able to um, work alongside and compete alongside amazing people 
um, it's really funny. Distilling, professional distilling is a very small world when you're in, especially if you're a craft distiller. And so if folks don't know the premise, I'll just go ahead and give you the quick Yeah, quote. yeah. So if you're familiar with Discovery's Moonshiners, the show, the couple of the characters from that are judges on the show called Master Distiller. And for the show, they pit either two moonshiners or two legal distill two moonshiners, one legal distiller, or two legal distillers and one moonshiner against each other in a competition um, with like eliminations. And then the goal is at the end, they crown somebody the master distiller. And so they're judging them on their the distilled product that they're making, but the end result. And it's really a lot of fun. So I got to do my episode with one person who is a professional distiller and one person who was a moonshiner mm-hmm. and they were amazing. And when you, you know, you're at the top of your game when you are competing against people who are absolutely at the top of their game and they are your peers and you are, it's, it's a good competition. And I had a, a great time doing it. I got to taste a lot of amazing moonshine. <laughs> oh yes the stories that i can tell that i that we that can't, can't that they can't tell um are amazing um usually having to do with some shady business at a ho- at the hotel but it was a lot of fun um and i tell I everybody mean, yeah anyone who knows any kind of like competitive reality cooking show or whatever it's not like you film your episode and you're gone like you have to hang around for a while mm-hmm and this is hanging around with a bunch of brewers and distillers. So what could possibly go wrong? What? Oh my what gosh. Poss- what possibly? What shenanigans could be had? At two o'clock in the morning at the ho- at a hotel that in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, um, where people are just kind of like talking about the things that you don't talk about. So one thing is that we never talk, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics but we all have a huge love for distilling mm-hmm. and everybody's coming at it from different perspectives, but also different backgrounds. And we may disagree on things fundamentally for other things, but we all can relate and discuss and talk about flavor profiles, fermentation strategies. Um, how do we get the best out of local ingredients? Or if you're working on a budget and all of these things are things that we could kind of relate to. And I, it's, that transcends differences that allows us to kind of come together and talk to each other and recognize each other as being human and having these loves and these passions. And in that really interesting way that we suspend the reality of the world around us. Cause you mm-hmm. know, when you're dealing with these kind of shows, you're dealing with a lot of different kind of political and personal backgrounds, but everybody could acknowledge that we came at this love of distilled spirits. Right. And, and like by default, like I feel like because of the history of distilling, especially in the United States, um, it's a very colorful background. It is a very colorful like, background. I learned so much. And for anybody who's never seen the show, I highly encourage it. Um, it's crazy because there are actual certain rules that have to follow, but it's really very colorful because we've lost a lot of technical knowledge, but there's still a lot of you know, backwoods and passed down knowledge that is actually very relevant and really skills, a lot of nice, wonderful skills that when you don't have the money, the options to buy this kind of equipment, like how do you kind of, what's your makeshift? 
Now yeah. I'm from, I was a home brewer for like 15 years before I actually, um, and I still homebrew. So I'm used to like having no budget, being a poor grad student. Um, I think I told you how I did my like yeast nutrient for years because I couldn't afford to buy fancy yeast nutrients. So I had to make it up. And, you know, all of these things are things that I've learned over the days that are shortcuts when you're working on a budget. And I think that moonshiners and folks who are like crafters, we've learned how to kind of make do with what we have and finding these workarounds that I would say would astound most people who want to spend a huge blow their budget on stuff. I'm like, right. Household thing will work just as well. Right. Hmm. I mean, that even translates sometimes into like the world of film. Um, I always feel like sometimes the worst thing you can do to a filmmaker that's cut their teeth and low budget indie movies is to give them a big budget. Right. <laughs> you know, because it, now you're just, you you're just, just looking for ways to spend the money instead of trying to improvise and, you know, be more creative. Yeah. If the answer is easily just said, throw money at it. Eh, okay. But if the answer is, well, shit, I don't know. Well, when I look at, when you look at Foley artists and they're like, we're going to break bones and they just take a stalk of celery and snap it. I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh. Like that is like those kind of sound effect artists are the ultimate in DIY. Yep. Or, mm -hmm. or punching a uh, pork roast. Yes. For mm -hmm. <laughs> That's sound. how you make the sound of being punched in the, like in the gut. You punch raw pork roast. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit hung up on the, th the part about, you said sometimes it's moonshiners and sometimes it's legal distillers. So you're saying that the the first category are people who are legitimately doing things outside of any sort of authorized practice. So for folks who are interested, it is completely illegal in the United States to home distill. Mm -hmm. Yes. It does not matter what your state says. The federal government says that that is legal and that is the yeah. premise that you work on. In fact, I so think I just read that Missouri is making it legal, but the feds are going to supersede it. doesn't it or matter. Yeah, it doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. Every, Washington has it where I was like talking to somebody who's like, I'm in Washington. And they're like, I was like, it doesn't matter. Your states can legalize anything they want. But in the end, the feds can put you in jail for this. Just yeah. just like weed. Um, but so then that's why I'm caught up on it. I'm like, do they use fake identities? How do they? And I don't know, maybe you're not allowed to say. Because I'm not it's... allowed to say. <laughs> Um, but it is very interesting, the stories that are told. But it's also very interesting that these people are still doing these things, um, still doing this. They they are very proud about what they're doing. And the nice thing about, the most the really cool thing about this show is that winners have the option to see their stuff made legitimately. Yeah, like label bottles. Label thing. bottles at a legitimate distillery. Like they have that chance. And I think it's a really a wonderful way for folks to be like, is this what can take me to the next level? And, or, you know, or whatever, but that's, it's been a pretty cool watching. Um, I have a renewed respect for um, watching people just be makers. Yeah. I mean, Cable, you might recognize some of this. Like I'll watch this show and on the surface, a lot of them have like that accent that we kind of dismiss as like, oh, they're not that bright. And it's a wholly prejudiced view, but then you watch yep. them and you're like, no, you guys are really smart. Yeah. And it's that there's a few characters that show up on the show once in a while that look like just living chaos. 
and, and they I, kind of are, but I'm like, but I knew those people back in Susanville and they were, they were kind of out of their mind. But if you gave them like, they're crazy, like a Fox kind of thing. Yeah. Like, but you if you what? gave them like up some pipes and some gas, like whatever, they're like, yeah, I can get water to go uphill. Yeah. yeah. No, but these are people I was related to on my mother's side. <laughs> yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And that's just like, it's like the skills are there and it's like how, but I also think accents are a really weird thing for us here is that we attribute mental capacity to the sound of oh yeah how people enunciate mm-hmm. words yeah and that means nothing on some cases no, it totally does. and yeah. a lot of people work really hard to kind of get rid of that and and yeah but i believe just, uh, just to not be judged Stephen yeah. colbert had to work on remote he's talked about he worked for years removing his because he's, he's from Georgia or North Carolina. He's from North Carolina. Really? North Carolina. Yeah. And See, I would have never guessed that listening to him talk. He's, he's from Charleston, effective. North Carolina. He is very proud of that. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's very proud of it. But he mentions about, he knew he wanted to get more into broadcasting and journalism and time. And they're like, if I sound like that, I'm never going to get out of a local market. Wow. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one for uh, like news in particular. Oh, yeah. yeah. The goal used to be that you had to sound like you were from the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It um, is like the most neutral. It is the most the neutral accent, and and when I tell people and they're like, "Well, you have an accent," I said, "I actually guarantee I do not." It I just sounds born. weird to I them. I said I have an I an affect certain mannerisms and accents when I'm talking to people, depending on who I'm talking to people. But for the most part, this is exactly how I sound all the time. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, okay. But <laughs> it's like throwing salt and pepper on things. You want to spice it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a weird segue. Speaking of spicing things up a little bit, <laughs> one of the other reasons why we're having on is that. That's a horrible segue. It's a horrible segue. I know. If it had been sweetened things up, it would have worked ah, better. Let's see. Um. One of the reasons why I had you on is that you and along with this show are putting yes. on a really awesome event. <laughs> Do you want to say what it is? Oh, Do should, it. I, should I tell the story about how this came yeah, about? Yeah, tell the story because mm-hmm. yeah, okay. it is your fault. <laughs> it is my fault. And it's been my fault for years. So for years, I have always wanted to do a mead competition and my birthday, we were doing a birthday celebration. I invited you to my birthday celebration. We were yeah. drinking beer. That was my first, that was the first thing. Um, but quick heads up, if you're friends with brewers or distillers and they invite you out to get a couple of beers, that means by default, almost all of their friends are somehow tangentially connected to the brewing industry. Sure. And they are all professional drinkers. Mm-hmm. So just prepare yourself if you are choosing to do this. Lift yeah. it everywhere. Be safe. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we were sitting at uh, Imperial Bottle Shop, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because you make amazing meads as well. And I was like, oh, we, thanks. You, oh, you do. And um, I was like, I want to start this mead competition. And I, I'll freely admit, I was a little intoxicated. <laughs> what? <laughs> at a party? Yeah, I wasn't driving. Um and it was my birthday. I was celebrating my birthday week. And so I was like, I've been wanting to do this mead competition. And I had been um, talking with some mead makers. And I was just like, I've been wanting to do this for years. And finally, it's a really daunting task. I've run 
I've started Shebrew and I've run other kinds of competitions and it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I go, every time I say it, I'm like, this is not what I want to have my hands on. But we were talking and then we're like, we should do this. We're totally. So we're sitting there. I made the mistake of saying, well, I'll help. And yes. then it was on. And then it was on. So then I was like, then I have a partner in crime and I'm like, well, I'm game. Let's do it. Next thing I know, we have a domain has been purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, the decision has been made what we're going to call it. And we have a first annual mead competition here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, this mead only. Oh. <laughs> Yes. By the way, Geek in the City is an official sponsor. I texted. Mm -hmm. I think I texted you guys that night too. I said, "Hey, I I think I want to do this. Do you want the show involved? You just get to be cool." Oh, I'm putting out ads. (laughs) Official Geek in the City official sponsor. Oh yeah, yeah. it's gonna be so much fun. I was like, even the Barrel B is gonna be a sponsor, and I'm like, I'm I'm hitting up a bunch of folks. But I I've been wanting to do this. There's only a handful of actual mead only competitions. The biggest ones have been around for a really long time. Um, but there isn't really one here that's mead only. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and when we're drinking, I said only one person, only one entry for per person, but that doesn't make sense. Um, I was like, so we changed that. But um, it's called Your Honey or Your Life Mead Competition. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and so we're going to be opening it up to folks as of when? This Friday it's going live, it right? It should be Soft live. live. Yeah, uh, Jen is activating the website as we broadcast here. She's webbing out all the yeah. all the bugs and whatnot. So I'll yeah, be, hopefully Friday it'll be live, and you can start even entering competition. I'll yeah. be I'll have all the um, the competition stuff all input before Friday. That would be tomorrow that I have to get it all done. <laughs> and did we ag- agree on the cost to enter? Yes, we're locked. So it's pretty- it's ten. It's so it's standard ten dollars um, per entry, which is pretty standard for meads. Um, we don't ask for we won't ask for as many bottles as you would for beer, um, but you know we're getting them in. We're really excited to get sponsors. Um, we're really excited to get you know people who are actually really knowledgeable about meads, mm-hmm. um, tasting them, judging them, honey maker, honey beekeepers. You know, other people in the industry who are like commercially producing meads, people who are commercially using honey, both brewers, cider makers. Um, actually, there's a winery that uses that dosages their sparkling with honey. Wait, what is what is dosage is a wine term when you're making like a champagne or a sparkling where you dose the particular amounts of sugar in your um, wine in order to get a certain level of bubbles and residual sweetness. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought it was related somehow to dosing, but it was yeah. Like, it's yeah. basically a French word saying dosing. Okay, no, it's very fancy. The French are fancy. Every, yeah. They just say anything in French, and it's automatically yeah. yes. like eighty percent fancier. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know a few chefs in town that are you know they're amateur brewers and mead makers. It'd be fun to get them involved. Yep. So we have a so much food and drink is so integral to the Pacific Northwest that I'm really excited to be able to do this and the idea that your honey or your life. Like we spend so much time with uh, like, what do we choose kind of thing? Like we're so attached to um, I'm a beekeeper. I'm so attached and honey is what I do. I'm like, when you think about that, it was like, 
oh, okay. Like that so resonated with me. And so I'm like, that was an action. We're like, what do we call this? That's what we're going to call it. Yeah. That's very clever. It also makes sense when you realize that without bees, we're all pretty much dead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just a, gen- just we, a gentle reminder. There are certain crops that only can be pollinated by bees. Yeah successfully i saw an image of what ha- what it looks like what your what your produce section would look like without bees and it was like all oranges <laughs> like that was it i like Weird. oranges so like scurvy it. won't be an issue for us <laughs> yeah. um speaking of bees i um i'm so curious if you're part of the um the local uh beekeeper organization the portland urban beekeepers yes. group. yes yeah i am when i can so technically, yes, I've yet to be able to make it to anything in the last year or so because I've just been too busy. Um, but I try to stay up on reading up on them. Um, I love urban beekeeping, especially because we need to get pe- more people growing things mm-hmm. that bees want. Well, I know like every year when I plant a garden, I specifically will surround it with like Northwest flowers that attract pollinators. Yeah. Like I- and it's my garden's better when I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've lost all my hives so far because I am really bad about growing things because I'm never home. Um, and my neighbors, my neighborhood, they don't grow a lot of flowers. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've lost all my hives because there's just nothing in the area of where I'm at. Do they just leave? Yeah, they call it's called absconding. <laughs> they leave. They didn't die. I checked this last batch. They didn't die. They left. And it was like, like watching it was like watching tenants leave um and leave their house just <laughs> trash, but they in this case they left me like 8 pounds of honey. Thank you. Um but now I felt like the horrible landlord who was like, "Why don't you like your house? I did everything I could for you." It just felt bad, except but I understand flowers. except for pam. I can't. I have um I could just, yeah. I've I've really wanted to put a hive in. We've talked about this. Yeah. Now that we own it, it might be easy. So it's relatively easy in Portland Metro to get a hive. You do not have to have permission like you used to. Yeah. Oh, you don't need to anymore? You can just have one? You can. You don't have to ask your neighbors anymore if it's and you don't have to ask the city for any sort of no if you are under if you are under 20 hives you're considered a hobbyist therefore you do not have to have it you don't have to be registered through oda i have to go (laughs) and even one hive can produce a pretty decent amount of honey right um i guess when i mean hive i mean like one box i know that's a a frame of like with an 810 frame you so keeping in mind you still have to if you're keeping on it you might, if you're lucky, and not, not your first year, but maybe as it goes on, you could probably get about a gallon, maybe okay. three or four. Um, and that also depends on your neighborhood and, you know, the whole host of things. But you also want to leave enough honey in the fall for your bees to get through the winter so you're not having to feed them yourselves. Right. What do you feed bees if, uh, if you <clears throat> took all their honey? Just get different honey? Um, you would re either refeed them um, simple syrup with or honey back to them. You would just leave the frames in there, or you would give them a protein patty. So you can buy those, and it's just like it's like bee bread, which is what they use pollen for. Denise is so excited by all of this right now. So bees make so the pollen pants that you see those those pictures of the little bees with like the leg warmers on. Uh-huh. Um, that's pollen. So they'll take those pollen bowls and they roll them up. 
and they add a little bit of moisture to them, a little bit of honey, a little bit of enzyme saliva, and they ferment them. And it gives off a bready, and it's called bee bread, and it's a really high protein for them That's to so eat. That's so fucking cute. I'm going to cry, you guys. Oh, my God. Like, literally, my eyes are watering. They've got a tiny little it. apron, and they're just using those little, they're using those little appendages to, like, bake it into little things. Yes. Brad yeah, just said, I think he meant to say boxes with beans, bees. Beans, bees. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've wanted to get a hive for a while now. I know you've been mentioning you mentioned that every time you see me. Every time I want to do it, but I'm just intimidated by a lot of the aspects of it. Oh, you gotta get stung. We could yeah. go to, we could join the uh the urban beekeepers you can. organization. Oh, that's right, get a little stuff. taste of it kind of thing. Yeah. They oh. do great little showings. They have like test Ooh. hives. You can go and do things with folks. You can shadow at some of the urban guard like the gardens that they work at with the community gardens they have hives at. Um, you can get a feel for them. There's a lot of different styles of hives, depending on what you want. Oh, uh, uh, Bex in the chat is saying that uh, according the, the they learned from the Department of Agriculture yep. for Oregon that if your neighbors have a problem with your bees, the state will choose your will take your side because bees are now protected. Mm-hmm. Take and that usually, racist neighbor. <laughs> so I have a na- I had a neighbor, and she actually never planted any flowers because she hated bees. And she was afraid of them. And I, we didn't tell her that we had a hive in the backyard for like almost a full year. And she never noticed. Right. And by the time we told her, she goes, you've had a hive for this long? I was like, yeah, you never noticed. So you're freaking out for no reason. Because they yeah. just kind of leave you alone, right? As long Honestly, as you don't mess with them. Honestly, if, if they're not at the hive, they're not, they don't care about you. So bees do a cost-benefit analysis. They are the ultimate in accountants in that sense. <laughs> They, um, when they're not at the hive, if they sting you, they die. So you have to, dis- they decide whether or not your messing around with you is worth their life. And half the time, no. So it's, it's kind of like the mob that way. They will run the cost benefit analysis of like, is it better to let this person alone and they'll go away? Or is it worth whacking them and dealing with the investigation? Yes. Like they'll run the numbers kind of, Yeah. I, I like how also, you the other thing the I love another mob related thing. Know, we've, already, we've already done yeah. the the analogy of cost benefit analysis, and then you you had to take it a do step it. further. I also like how they'll they'll like cook insect intruders. Mm-hmm. Is is that any so, type of bee? No, is it Not just a certain all, type? So oh. bee, all bees don't do that. That's a learned behavior. Okay, because that's metal as fuck. So it's because their temperature they can create a heat higher than what the um, wasp can handle. I think it's 110. And they can handle it a little bit. Jeez. It's a lot higher. Um, So they generate, they put them in a ball and they generate heat for them. That does not work on everything. Right. Um, And it's not all bees do that. But also, not all bees are, um, and it also depends on where you're at because some bees tend to be a little bit more aggressive and Mm -hmm. so they have no qualms about like coming at you um, and being like, Taking one from the team kind of situation. Um, uh, and so then, uh, do, do you use uh, like the European honeybee? Or? So I, they started out as a European, um, Cornelian, I believe is the one. There's also Caucasian. Um, I'm not even going to make that joke. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> save it for uh, after. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's okay. All right. Go ahead. Um, or save it for next time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I use um, the bees I get are 
actually bred here in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so they're a local beekeeper. Used to be Old Blue. But I choose to get them because, and not buy them from other beekeepers other in other parts of the United States, mm -hmm. because we're a little rainier and we're a lot colder here. So bees from, say, California and the South are used to a lot more warmer temperatures. They don't handle flying in the rain, but bees bred here, depending on the beekeeper, um, can will tend to be out in like 50 degree weather. It could be a little misty and they'll handle the rain a little better. Mm. Um, so you... I tend to like to buy bees that are kind of like bred for being in the area that they're at. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me everything I need to know to become a beekeeper. I You're am like still learning. I love <laughs> it because I don't get to spend as much time. I know just enough. I know enough to kind of maintain the single couple of hives that I have. I know enough to be able to ask really good questions of the apiaries and the beekeepers that I come in contact um, and I know enough to be able to kind of answer rudimentary questions, but I love the fact that I get to constantly be learning because there's so much more out there and people are learning more and more about beekeeping, which That's is why really cool. honey, this honey event is so great because people don't realize it's like, you can work with all sorts of kind of like the honey board. You can work with them. Like they want people to be more fascinated with dealing with experimentation on like both fermenting, but also distilling with honey, but also like all these different kinds of honey varietals and, you know, how we can put them in foods and drinks and have them be their own creation. I've started fermenting like and preserving um, vegetables and fruits in them. Ooh. Yes. Oh my gosh. And making honey vinegars. I'm doing so much. I'm loving it. Well, now I'm thinking of other foods that get preserved. Uh, I'm like, oh, that'd well, be great. Like lemon, preserved lemon. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what they get normally get preserved in. but Usually now salt. Like, Usually salt. No, no, it's a liquid thing because then they get all soft and jelly -ish. That's because of the salt. Yeah, or the sugar. You can make a the syrup out of it. The salt and the sugar, and it kind of pulls all that moisture out of the actual lemon itself. I did, not the Christmas before, I did the honey fermented cranberries. Yeah, like, I did honey fermented that figs. That was cool. I did honey from it. Oh, I remember fix, those. And I'd made a jam out of it. I made up like a a, a, a preserved She's make spread. Bean pass out. I know. And it now, was now it's from hunger. Crazy like good. Um. Uh, okay, I have a random question about a bee. I don't know if you'll know this. One specific. Bee. Well, like I, I, his like, name was Jerry. I, yeah. I was just about to ask, uh -huh. and he died sorely because he was Sorry. a drone. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's about behavior. I've seen YouTube videos of this. And I have done this, and it's the cutest thing, but I know they're not being cute. When you get them, like, when they'll high-five you, like, you'll put your finger out, and they're, like, on a flower, and they'll go, they'll stick one of their leg things out, and they'll go, boop, and they'll, like, boop they'll your finger. You. It's like you're, they're high-fiving you. I've I've seen it. I've never experienced it. I did it. I One day, it was, like, one of those bigger bees. Oh, the big bumbles? Yeah, yeah. And it was, like, sitting on a big flower, and it was doing its thing, but then it just kind of sat there. It wasn't doing anything, and I... Got slowly came up to it and it was like it was looking at me like, What are you doing, buddy? I was like, You want to do a high five? And I got within like, you know, a couple oh, millimeters no. and it went high five, high five. And then I pulled the hand away and it took off to another flower. And I was like, Yeah, buddy, we're tight. That sounds more along the lines of, Is this kind of is this dangerous? <laughs> and I'm just gonna be like pushing away. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's testing to see if I'm like dangerous or not, but. It looks so cute because yes. they're bumble butts. They're kind of like shaking a little bit and they go high five. 
What's the question? So, no, I was saying, do you know why they do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I've never experienced, I've seen it and I go, oh, that's cute. And I just keep on going because I'm like, I've never experienced that. I have no idea why they do that. Oh, I think okay. that's really interesting. Yeah. I've done more along the lines of saving bees where I like, you'll get one, like it's been cold at night. They couldn't make it back to the hive. So you scoop them up and I like keep them in a jar and I warm them up and with holes in it, of course. I do that. It's okay, and then it's I okay give- to do that. I had a I had a bee uh, oh, yeah. was just this summer that looked like he was mm-hmm. really struggling. I thought he was like injured, but he crawled for several yards. They and get then he was slow gone. And and I was like, oh, I guess he's gone. Sometimes they get a little exhausted, and you just put a little. I sometimes I keep bottle caps around just for that, where I have like a little bit of sugar and water I'll put in there, and then or honey and water and I'll just set it in front of them and they'll eat it, get some energy enough to be able to get up. When, okay, sweet. When it gets too cold, they're like, then they can't make it back to the hive. They kind of camp out wherever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've done that. For, yeah. Like eventually he just like started getting a lot more speed. Yep. But, he's, but he still crawled for a good ways. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupted your story. No. You were going to tell a story. Oh no, that's a good story. Uh, the cool. internet has an answers for you. Aaron. Oh yes. Oh, okay. What's actually happening is the bee is adopting a raised leg position, which is often mistaken for a high five. When feeling threatened, bees raise one leg as a warning, as though to tell the person to back away because they're getting too close. I guess I'm not going to high five bees. Terrible news. So that's kind of what I was thinking that that might be. I mean, it makes sense. It it was like, stop. You got, you were done. Yeah. All right, I'll quit high five and bees. <laughs> Even though it is just adorable when it's the big bumble guys. I, I think the only encounter that I've had with a bumblebee, a large bumblebee, was when I was a child. And it, like, it was after soccer practice. I was like eight, seven or eight years old. And mm-hmm. it just, I felt this thump in my chest. And I looked down, and th- this bee is just on me. I didn't know anything about bees. I'm just like freaking out. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, my only experiences with bees at that point were running around barefoot in the yard and stepping on them. Yes, mine yeah. too. And uh, I had... On purpose? I, on accident? No. Oh, no. Yeah, never on purpose. You just run around. And they just happen to, to be there on a flower. You yeah. run over them and that's how you get stung. And that's how most mm. people are like, I don't like it. I've yeah. only yep. ever been stung by wasps, fuckers. I've yeah. never been stung, knock on... Twice. Oh Knock on wood I've been stung by bees a couple times. Um, I've learned more about bees, so it's like I'm not scared of them. It's like, no, they're a thing. Um, Wasps, yellow jackets, hornets, those are not the great ones. But yeah, fuck honey hornets. Bees, they, they don't care about you. No, they don't. I get so mad when people try to like shoo a bee away. I'm like, just leave them alone. It's like, leave the bee alone. It's like that. There's like that meme out there that shows all the different types of bees. And they're like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. And they get to like the hornets. It's like I see you in hell. <laughs> I, I think I was I was out at the coast uh, a few years. I don't know. It was the summertime, like maybe ten years ago. And I was out hiking, had a shorts on, and uh, I got bit by a hornet. And it was like it it was a straight up bite. Yeah. Because I looked down, like I saw this thing hit my leg, and all of a sudden it just bit me, and it took a chunk out of my leg. <laughs> It's like, fuck you. What? What? Why? Because they eat meat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do. Um, That's wild. Our listener yeah. Brad says, do you normally have to process the raw honey? Um, I process raw honey because um, you got to get the bits out. You know, the the odd leg, honeycomb, protein. <laughs> the odd 
sometimes <laughs> there's bodies in it. So you process and strain it enough to do that. Um, I try not to heat it up above um, 110, um, but it also depends on what I'm going to be doing with it. Right. That's, like the stuff that you get at the store is usually, it's been pasteurized, it's been right? Pasteurized. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is something I tell some mead makers that it makes like brewers, it makes them kind of twitch because it seems weird. So never to, I never boil my honey when I make mead because I feel like it kind of screws the honey up. And you get it wrong? So there's a, I mean, uh, no, there's no. Boche, which is caramelized honey. It's a mead made with caramelized honey. And it mm. is delicious. I love it. Mm. But it's, um, it depends on what you're wanting to do with it. Like, okay. once you add the, the nutrients, the raw, what the nutrients that are in the raw honey are great for fermentation. Um, but there aren't a lot of nutrients in honey anyway. So right. you're going to have to be adding even more. So it depends on like, you don't want the caramelization. You don't want it to be that cooked. So no, I don't want to heat it up any higher, but I make braggots. So I add mine to the boil. Oh, wow. Okay. For those who want to know, braggots are beer and mead basically. Mm. So um, I don't like to add honey that has not been processed or pasteurized to a finished beer or a finished thing because you don't want it. It's a unknown in, you know, you know, you don't know what had been hibernating, what bacteria has been hanging sure. out that couldn't, that is finally going to get released and you haven't heated it enough for a long enough period of time to kill that. Therefore, you're going to be interesting. You could be introducing a wild yeast into a finished product and maybe you don't want that yet. Mm. So it almost depends on what you're going to do. Just be aware of like remembering what you did so that if it turns out great, you can re- you can do it again. Right. And kind of coming back to the competition, one of the things that's fun about honey mm-hmm. is that it's kind of like a living thing. So when you make a mead, it may taste like crap when you first bottle it and you think, oh, I fucked this up. Because by the way, when you screw up a batch of homebrew mead, it's really expensive. Because honey's expensive. And, mm-hmm. you get, and you get really angry at yourself. But then like two years later, it could taste like the greatest thing you've ever had. But then another year later or two years later, you're like, what the fuck happened to it? Oh, yeah. It has it hits that peak. I mean, I made crappy. My first one we were talking about this. My first one was the worst one I'd ever made. I did everything you could possibly do wrong. And it turned out to be a 14% amazingly <laughs> sneaky, but it took like three years for it to actually hit that point where you're oh, like, wow. this 12 ounce bottle could knock you on your ass. Um, and it was amazing, but I did everything wrong. It should not have been like, it was my early days. and I didn't know what I was doing. Everybody has that. Um, one of our listeners also has a question about mad honey. Is this something you're familiar with? Mad honey? Yeah. Oh, the honey that you do that produces a, the hallucinogenic yeah. one? I, we don't have it here. Um, so I'm not it familiar with it. sounds like it's from Nepal. Yeah. And I guess the, the question is more specifically around the fact that, um, I don't know, Joe Rogan types try to skirt drug laws uh, by, I don't know, buying, importing, selling mad honey. I don't know. Norm, you didn't give me enough to go on. Um, I mean, his question specifically is, do you feel that the popularity of a honey made by indigenous people should be exploited by swole dudes trying to skirt the laws? 
Um, I feel like the answer anytime is, that is no. dude no. bros are trying to do anything that exploits indigenous people is fuck off. <laughs> well, the, but, the yeah. half the time that people don't understand is that bees, if the plants that they are producing and they're grabbing pollen from and they're creating this moment from this, you know, chemical, they're reproducing it in their bodies. So their enzymes are producing that. They're making the honey. They're doing all this stuff. It's like when the area, the land, the plants themselves become fewer, you're going to run out of that. And when you make something more popular, you run the risk of like, you can't speed up honey production. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know, then you run the risk of adding more hives, but then you run the risk of honeybees robbing from each other because of scarcity. And they will do that. And so then there's other behaviors that come into play. So it's kind of like you you can't get more of something by adding more. You're just creating a problem that wasn't there before. Oh, that's awful. And they I, may just uh, decide that they're not going to battle it out and they'll just take off. Yeah. And so then you're like back where you started from. So that's um, kind of similar to my thoughts when I started to see like agave syrup and everything. Where I'm like, agave is really hard to grow. That's what it I mean. Like it doesn't grow everywhere. And like we need to stop. Yeah. Those and those pinas take years to get to the rate where you can make syrup and then eventually like tequila or mezcal but that's why i get very annoyed i've started to see a product called vegan honey that is flavored agave syrup i'm like you're just dam- buy you're just damaging buy agave. Just, just buy agave no just buy a different sweetener don't buy agave. yeah why what's wrong with agave because we're the demand for agave has gone up so much that the they're taking all sorts of okay. agave. Yeah. Yeah. Also, all of they're agave. also overdoing it there. Okay, because yeah. because it only grows in like, and not all agave is good for tequila. Yeah. So, so then people are like, well, "What are we growing? And what are we taking? And what are we using?" And it's like, oh, yet again. So maybe just capitalism yeah. is awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did. I didn't know it can this, be irresponsible. Uh, agave yes. was being mm-hmm. over over harvested. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, um, I don't want to love go... these questions. By the way, these are awesome. <laughs> I don't even want to go down the whole road about like why do some vegans not eat honey? Because I've I've known people that are convinced that I hives are killed heard... every time you harvest honey. I'm like, no. Uh... One of the fir- one of the few times that I came down to Portland before living here, I took the Bolt bus, and there was a Portland like hipster hippie kid uh, talking on his phone very loudly while the bus was warning. And he was talking about how beekeeping and eating and buying honey is slave labor, which is offensive on multiple levels. But um, so from that day forward, I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess that's, that's why vegans don't eat honey. No, it It depends. They don't eat honey because it's from a living, but, what they don't realize is that we create honey is made by bees gathering nectar and pollen. So they gather nectar from plants. They store it in their honey stomachs. Um, so what they have a, they have certain kinds. Yes. They have more than one stomach. Yes. So they, <laughs> they mix the neck, they mix the nectar with the enzymes that are unique to their body chemistry. And they take that nectar back and they exchange that nectar. They give it off to the worker bees that are in the hive because there's foragers, there's workers, there's nurse bees, there's all sorts of bees. Everybody's got a job. And then they go away. And so the, the workers are taking that the nectar. They're mixing it with the enzymes in their bodies. 
and then they're putting it in the cells. Um, and then they're reduced. So it's super liquidy at that point. They have to reduce the um, liquid content so that there's no, um, so then honey is usually about anywhere between 15 to 18% moisture content. And so the bees are taking some of this really liquidy and they are actually evaporating all that water out of that to create more of a syrup kind of content. And they do that by like fanning um, and kind of just kind of getting rid of that. So it is a food, but it's also a food product for them. So, but they have, they don't have bags. So they have to carry it in their bodies. And so when they're carrying their bodies, their enzymes themselves are what's transforming that um, nectar into honey itself. Um, and so that's how they're carrying it. That's how they're transiting. So it's, they're producing it. Um, they, they're basically changing it. And then, but they're taking the raw, they're pulling it from the raw ingredients. So the process begins even before the components make it back to the hive. Yes. And it is not exploiting mm-hmm. the bees to well, harvest we, some. Bees have a very short life. The old, the only thing that lives longest in the hive is the queen. Mm-hmm. She can live for years. Mm. Workers at the height of their maximum amount of lifespan is about six weeks. Wow. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's shorter than I thought. I would have thought like the summer. I guess that's kind of, yeah. They are always, the queen's sole job is just to lay eggs. That is what she does. And it does not take long to get to a full, like, from an egg to a pupa to kind of coming out and doing their work. Once they've emerged from their cells, bees, every bee does every job. Like, they they go from being nurse bees to going to being workers to being foragers are the last thing, is the last job they'll ever have. Um, and that is the job that actually puts the most wear and tear on a bee. And so you can tell something. If you're seeing a bee out and about, that's a worker bee. And so that's their last job. But like, they're going to do it anyway, right? I mean, that's what I mean. So it's not like. That would have been their job no matter what. We're not training them to do anything. Yeah. This is always what they've done. So we passively, we just remove a few frames but we leave most of them there. They will keep filling frames. If you don't, ta- if we didn't take the frames from their beehives, what they would do is become what they call honey bound, and they don't like that. They will then leave. They will split. Their, they'll split. They're like swarm and they'll disappear because they have nowhere this else for them to go. This house is full of food. We need a yes. house. And so they, they, they keep <laughs> going. So you pull the frames out and add empty frames in, and they'll just keep filling them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just taking, we're creating excess in order to keep them there, to keep them happy, to keep them, to give them um, room to grow without actually growing. So you can just add more frames on right. top mm-hmm. and then let them fill them and take those and add more. And this just is also going. like super fascinating. It, 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 we, yeah. We so it's less exploitation. Yeah. And moved over to uh, melancholy. So it's about husbandry. It's about working with. That's exactly um, what I was going to say. <laughs> Even commercial, responsible commercial beekeepers understand, and it is expensive, um, Mm. don't treat their hives as disposable. Now, maybe the ways that they kind of control for pests and things like that are a little controversial. Everybody has their own way of doing everything. But um, I appreciate commercial pollinating beekeepers 
who travel and put their hives in crops um, because they know where they're at. They know what's being done. They, they're they being responsible for these hives and they're going and checking on them and they're doing all the things that they can do. Um, they're being paid to pollinate and the honey that they get is an added bonus because they can then sell that as well as a single honey varietal because they know exactly where their hives are. Wow. Yeah, like double income. You rent out the bees and then you sell off the honey. Yeah. And you can have all kinds of different honey because of all the different crops you go to. And there's a there's a circuit for crop for pollinations um, that travels the United States in a circle because you know you don't want to be in the north. You don't want to be in the north during winter. So mostly everybody is heading now. Everybody's in California, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so gradually as spring rolls around, if you're a traveler and you're coming up, you'll make your way back up to north in the spring and summer because it's going to be warmer up here. You just they just, just like bring their hives with them. Yes, you put them in a car. You put them on a flatbed truck. You strap them down, and you only travel at night while they're sleeping. Yes, so they want you can kind of keep them confined if they can't get out. Um, they try not to do that, but if you stop, I've seen I've asked a couple of beekeepers, and like if we're stopped, we're stopped for the day. You let them go. Because they leave their hive, they orient themselves based off of where they leave. If you drive away <laughs> during the day, the odds are they won't find their way back. I've heard of this. If you, yeah, if you, if you, if you've got a hive and the bees are out and about, and you move it by like not even a whole mile, I think yeah. it is, um, they won't know how to get back. To they, it. Won't. they won't because they, they are so precise. When they leave, they can pinpoint. The angle for the sun is the way the wind is blowing, how they're flying out with their trajectories, and they come in based off of that. That's amazing. I love these. I do too. But they're like, fascinating, like yeah. degrees and angles and light, all of that. It's the more I learned about bees, and I was always learning about bees, the more fascinated I am by the complicated geometry and just navigation and just, you know, the bee dance. Like, you want to talk about not capitalism, but like, absolute crazy fun um negotiating it's like a dance-off it was like who likes your dance better and it was like all right so they dance until they get enough votes to figure out like this patch is the best patch and they're doing their dance showing where that patch is and why and they'll keep doing it and then the more and more bees are watching and they're watching these dance off and they're making their decisions based off who's the better dancer I just thought they dance to just tell, and that's where they all They went. do. But, but they're, they, they're competing? They're competing because the dancing is telling, and they get the, the more, and people are like, okay, I like where that is. So they'll get more people, more other bees wanting to go to that spot. It's trying to convince the bulk of the foragers where to go. Man, I just see them there like they're eating their little bee bread with so their when special you sing, honey oh, stomachs, watching the show, and then deciding where to go. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. I can't stand it, you guys. It's too much. It's too much cuteness? It really is. I love these. Are so you much. picturing a dance-off? Like, yeah. I'm imagining, mm-hmm. like, that 80s, you know, rap dancing. And they're like, yeah. leg yeah, warmers and a headband. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, this is where we need to go. And we're like, all right. Uh, my other uh, favorite B-Facts, since we're just we're just doing B-Facts now, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, when they bump, the B-bump, and they make a little whoop sound. Um, and so in my head, anytime I'm reminded of that fact, it's whoop, whoop. That's the sound of bumping bees. Aww. <laughs> Instead of that's the sound of the police. 
<laughs> Do you know what an even better one is? Please. Not everybody's going to like this one, but you should YouTube um, drone fields of mating flights for drones and queens and turn the sound up on this bad boy because, you know, drones, those are the males. Mm-hmm. Um, they do nothing, by the way. You can't play it right now. I know. Okay. They do nothing. And so, but there's a couple of really, for learning educational purposes, um, I've, I was doing a training and they're like, go to this link. And it's actually a link. And they said, turn up the sound because the sound of a mating flight, when the male drone uh, mates with the queen, um, they die. So mm-hmm. they get they they shoot their shot literally, and, <laughs> and they die, and it sounds like popcorn popping because <laughs> oh. they're in a field with queens, and there's multiple drones and queens flying around, and it's this multiple popping sound that's like from bumping into each other. Nope. Oh, from uh-huh. yes. gotcha. From yep. literally coming literally. and going. <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> Thank you, broke cable. Oh, that was a good one. Yep. Right. I like that one. So look that one up. That's a really fun one. I have already saved the link. So there's what? a couple of them out there and they're they're really cool because there are fields where they have those where queens when they leave their their hives for their first mating flights, um, usually it's their only one, it's the only time that they leave, because they'll mate with multiple drones and they'll carry with them for the rest of the goal is they mate so many times that the sperm that they're carrying will last them their entire lifetime. Amazing. Hmm. When does a hive decide to make a new queen? Like, like how when does that work? They kind of make that decision on their own. They kind of decide when that, if, if it's underproducing, um, if they're not getting enough, you know, she's not laying enough eggs. Um, if she goes on a mating flight and doesn't come back, oh, it's like they like literally overthrow, the and they crown. can do that too. They're just like this bitch ain't do it anymore, just and they revolt. Will. Sometimes it gets a little too crowded, and the workers decide the worker bees decide that it's too crowded, and they'd be better off. They've got an aging queen, mm-hmm. and so what they'll do is they'll raise a new queen, um, in preparation in preparation for a swarm. So, so another to, queen's just like, what are you guys doing over there? Do Nothing. The, do they have to steal the jelly? No, they produce the jelly and they feed them. Oh, they they don't steal produce it. jelly. Workers produce, yeah. They produce jelly. So queens only eat jelly. Everybody gets a little bit of royal jelly. Um, it's not their sole diet, though. Honey, pollen, that's for workers, drones, all of those. Queens get a soul. Um, that's their soul. They get fed. They get taken care of every they That's look drastically different. Yeah. I mean, it, it is until it isn't. Until you get overthrown. And then until um, they find a younger, hotter version, and they're like, mm. yep. "Well, they're often well and until often they raise. They a younger, will. They can raise enough. They can be two queens in a hive, and then she knows that she's leaving, and so she'll just take off. She'll leave, um, and the old agent queen will stay, and they'll she'll stay with a little handful, and they'll just be there and take care of her and try to keep it going. But the rest of them will take off and. Well, that's right. Go. Sometimes they fight, right? The the new queen so, and the old queen. It's one of the few times that the queens use their stingers. They don't usually sting. Um, they make a pipping sound. If one, it's like a dangerous Marco Polo. Um, they whoever hatches first makes a pipping sound, and it's like Marco Polo. And they find the other queen cells. Whoever hatches first 
they it's the only time um one of the only times they use their stinger they kill the remaining queens in their cells before they can hatch damn suspicious it's all game of thrones Uh, well, I hate to say it, but I think we're running out of time. I know. We I'm should... so sorry. I no. I just kept you going on For and on what? about these. I mean, this that's... is perfect. <laughs> we talked about what we're doing. So, yes. yeah, your honey or your life. The site should be live this Friday. The you... Barrel B site will be up in a couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, they can find you on Facebook at The Barrel B. Yes, and you can find me on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at The Barrel B. Yeah, definitely follow her because sometimes she'll post process videos of like filling barrels and, you know, doing cool stuff. Yeah. And then uh, we will be giving you updates, listeners, about the the competition as uh, mm-hmm. as those things move forward. Yeah, July twenties. What is it? July twenty second is the deadline. July 29th is the judging, and then August fifth, I believe, is when we'll be announcing the winners. Yep, we don't have a location yet, but I am working on that. Uh, pretty pretty solid on the location, so. I thought about asking Nat to be a judge, knowing how much he hates me, but it's, it's more of a better bit than an actual smart thing to do. <laughs> how many judges do you need? And then one more can be him. That's yeah. more Lee's department. I'm not sure. We won't know how many judges we'll need until we know how many entries we have. Uh, so if you ever, for folks, if you've ever thought about maybe you wanted to make one, we'll have probably have a, be fun to have a little category of first time mead entry. Yeah. That'll be fun. If um, this is your first meet. Yeah, if this is your first meet and you want to enter it, enter it in this plot category. And, yeah. like, and you can probably find like a home brewing. If you have a friend that does home brewing, it still counts if they help you as your first time. Yeah, it still yeah. counts. So, you know, Bean, if you want to enter something, just saying down the road. I think she just wants uh, my, my brain froze. Um, I do want bees. I've wanted bees for many years. I have, and now that I know how easy it is. To get them, or like to to you know to be allowed to do it in the city. Remember, you got to take care of them. And and like I and I've said this many times before, like it can't if it, it has to tell me it's hungry or I will I will not successfully keep yeah, it alive. You're gonna have to make them. You have to set up a reminder then. Yeah, <laughs> they won't tell you that they're hungry. They'll just leave and find food elsewhere. Oh, what a sad day! You come home from work. I'm gonna go look at my beans. Oh my god, and I would be. Right, there's no like in between phase. Like with plants, you're like, oh, you're not looking too good. I need no. to change things around here. And they're just gone one day. Yeah, they'll just be like, we've had enough. You know, and I respect that uh, because I've been that bitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, Lee, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Ben Rita. And I'm Cable Hashitame. And we will talk to everybody next week. Bye.